Welcome to the Spring Fork Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording has been made for November 8, 2020, the 23rd Sunday of Pentecost. Good morning. Today we receive Psalm 70 for our call to worship. Be pleased, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire to hurt me. Let those who say, aha, aha, turn back because of their shame. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. any announcements today that you would like to lift up? Any updates on friends, family, things going on in your life? Nothing? No new additions? All right. As far as I know, those in our fellowship who have been recovering from COVID, it, it sounds like from the updates that I've received, things are looking good. They're on the mend and taking it day by day as they regain their strength and look forward to 
being able to get back to life as, as they knew it prior to taking ill. The invocation is an opportunity for us to prepare ourselves to receive the word. And this being the 23rd Sunday of Pentecost, just a few more Sundays left in this season before we get into Advent, Mary and I were speaking before the service about what we might want to do for the Christmas Eve. We're, and I figure if I say it out now, it, we might be able to get something going. We're probably thinking about maybe putting together a, a, a special video set for Christmas Eve because obviously we're not going to be able to have Christmas Eve as we've had it in the past. So I'm going to take a look at the service and maybe request uh, interested parties to either offer uh, scripture readings or song of your choice and then we can have all that. Our tech person will weave it all together into a nice video and of course and then I'll, I'll do the I'll take care of the editing Mary you just you run the camera and I'll I'll take it from there but hopefully we can maybe get a video that that incorporates the 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 congregation elements of our congregation and we'll see where it goes from there um, we just have to be flexible let us pray O God, whose blessed Son came into the world, that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure, that when he comes again with power and great glory, that we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom, where he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Continuing on with Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, this is Paul's sort of closing, it's not his final, final exhortations, but it's getting near towards the closing of this letter. And he is responding to a question that the Thessalonians have put to him about what happens when individuals pass on and die in the faith. What happens to their their place in the realm of God and what happens to us who are left behind. What is the, the, where's the continuity? So Paul brings some words of comfort to those individuals who have buried members of the church and are now wondering what does that mean for them, both those who have passed on and those who remain. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we are alive. We who were left until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command and the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise. First, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up with the clouds together to them, to meet them with the Lord in the air, so that we will not be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Did I say not, so we will be with the Lord forever? Otherwise, you guys are starting to panic here. You're like, what do you mean? 
heaven is only a temporary stay. I'm like, of course. Didn't I teach you that? No, <laughs> that we will be with the Lord forever. See? Critical reading is very important with the scriptures. Get a word wrong, send people into mortal panic. <laughs> Let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, giving you thanks and praise for the opportunity to return once again to your house of worship. We ask, Lord, that your blessing would lay upon us and that would re renew us, strengthen us, and provide us once again the opportunity to live in accordance with the truth that we have come into contact through your scriptures, that through patience and application, we too can be those people that you have fashioned us to be. So may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. We offer this worship as an offering. And we trust that once again, that you will speak to us exactly what we need to hear and that you will once again empower us to live in the footsteps of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen. So Paul has been working with the Thessalonians. As I have been saying the past few weeks, the Thessalonians have found great favor in Paul because they were individuals who heard the word of God as what it truly was, the word of God, and they responded to it. Paul has laid out an entire list of caveats, things that they should be concerned about. He's like, you do realize that if you live according to this word, you will be persecuted, you will run into hardship, just as our Lord and Savior Jesus did. And the Thessalonians didn't stop listening. They didn't tune out, they didn't check out, they didn't resign. They continued to stay steadfast in the pursuit of this word. But a very practical question emerged for that Christian community, as it would for any Christian community, is what happens to those who die either preceding the faith or those who die in the midst of the faith? Is the connection broken? Now, Paul came to the Thessalonians as a living, breathing apostle of the word. They only knew the word from him because he spoke it to them distinctly. So, of course, they would receive it as people who feel like, well, this word must be something that only applies to those of us who still have the breath of life in our bodies. That it's almost as if the subscription would end upon our death. So they put this question to Paul. Are we still members of the household of faith long after we cease to exist? When this experience, this life is over and we pass on, what then becomes of us? Is there any connection? What are we pursuing? So Paul comes to them and says, listen, I don't want you to be dismayed, and I don't want you to not have hope. But those who have passed on in Christ, we will be reunited with them. So Paul goes forth to establish that God is not partial. It's not a moment, and it's not limited. But that the endurance of God's realm is both the point of origin and also the conclusion. So we who were attached to God in Christ, that we have the entirety of our existence that's blanketed by this promise. And this is something that I think that we need to appreciate because so often we feel as if it is through works, it is through the application, it is through the looking and the being, playing the part of people of faith that keeps us attached. 
that if we stray from the sanctuary, if we stop reading our Bible, if we stop saying our prayers, that somehow that baptismal promise is going to fade away. Now, it is true that we as people of faith can get out of practice and we can stop doing our devotions and we can stop attending worship and we can stop thinking about God from the rising of our day to the setting of our day. It is true that life can get hectic and busy and the work of being and reminding ourselves to be faithful can be shoved and put on a back burner. But Paul's demonstrating that just because our mind may lapse with regards to our place in the realm of the kingdom, it never lapses for God. That God never removes that imprint and that blessing upon us, that it will endure even till the very end of our existence, our earthly existence, that that continuity will remain. Paul tells the Thessalonians this, and he tells us this because he does not want us to lose hope. Because really, we stake our, when we attach ourselves to Christ, we stake our claims not so much on the blessings that we receive now, but on the blessing that's to come. That is reunion with Christ. This is what we preach at every funeral. Any minister anywhere is going to preach this at a funeral. Is going to preach unity with Christ after our labors and our existence and our time here is complete. That is the hope that we hang on to. That is the hope that we attach ourselves to through the Easter promise. That it's not the breaking of Jesus on the cross that we admire. I mean, he willingly went. God allowed that to happen. But it's the victory of the empty tomb that we count as our gain. So Paul conveys this to the Thessalonians because he wants them not to lose hope. He wants to realize that evangelism, true evangelism, grows not out of so-called all the joy that we experience in the continuity of the earthly life, but the goal that we live towards. And because that goal is unity with Christ, how does it conduct our behavior in this very moment? Because we will have unity with God, because everything will be made fresh and new to us, because we will no longer be lost in our confusions and our darkness and our polarity, because there is this eternal and consistent promise that has been given to us by Christ, how then does that shape our conduct in this moment? Because Paul is asking this of the Thessalonians. Because you know that those who have departed have gone on to receive their reward, and because we know that we who also walk with Christ will inherit that same reward, how then does that change our conduct in this very moment? How then do we interact with one another in this very moment? What does God want us to convey to others to not only establish their hope and maintain their hope, but to allow them to have a peace and a confidence so they will never have that hope broken. See, church is an important thing. And it's an important thing not because of the leverage that we can twist on individuals, but because of this incredible nature and sense of character that it elicits. There's a certain type of conduct from people of faith that is largely set by our focusing our attentions on Jesus. And we look at Jesus and we say, 
this was an interesting character. This was a man who came and was imbued with all of this power and this compassion, yet he let it fall freely upon a lot of individuals that normally weren't the A-list. The individuals that Jesus did ministry to were the individuals that society would already sort of consider liabilities, Gentiles, sinners, tax collectors, the widows, the orphans, individuals that had lost, if, if they ever had, their ability to be productive members of the community. Individuals who used to have attachment to financial clout no longer had it anymore. And Jesus came and ministered to these individuals because he realized that in the realm of God, that each individual needs to be reminded that God has not forgotten them. So his ministry was one of reconciliation. Taking individuals who had felt discarded and thrown away by God and bringing them back into the fold, forgiving their sins if that's what needed to be happened, healing them of their infirmities in order that they would see that God did not require and did not insist upon them to remain broken but he called them into wholeness. And once they realized that they had not been passed over, they lived their lives differently. They lived their lives with a sense of, I am somebody. And when you are defined as somebody, you live your life with a sense of conviction. You live your life with a sense of, now I know that my contributions matter. So Paul is telling this to the Thessalonians. He was like, do not think that those who have died in the faith are outside of the circle. They lived in accordance with the truth that they had come to know, and God has now rewarded them. And that is not to mean that because we see people die in their faith, because we see people who take sick, illness, Last year, we were ravaged with a number of individuals in our congregation who took sick, came ill, passed away. This was not punishment. We can't view this as punishment. People sometimes feel like, oh, my body is taken sick. I am ill. God must be punishing me. Dispense these thoughts from your mind. What we learned from those individuals in our community who were ill was the strength and the resolve of their faith. That they could look in the face of something that is probably going to mean their end and they did it without resentment. They taught us. They taught us the price of the faith. That we don't just stay attached to the faith when everything is good when everything is going our way, when we are being uh, vastly rewarded with lots of earthly treasures, the true test of faith is when the heat rises up, when there was something that was precious to us that is now taken from us, that has now been removed from the table. And Paul says, do you think that that's going to separate us from the love of God? In Romans, he says, by no means. These present hardships are what they are, but they do not mean that God has abandoned us. 
So if God hasn't abandoned us, if God is with us right now, this very moment, no matter what hardships you feel that you are perceiving or what you are up against, or the fact that we've got to still deal with this virus and people that are getting closer and closer to us are being infected. And we know that sometimes these infections, people won't recover from them. Not everyone will recover who gets this virus. I'm sorry to those of you who are dealing with it. Let's just talk plainly. I mean, we see the numbers. Many will. Many will recover. Not everyone will. But it becomes a faith issue for us because we start to wonder, well, we have been following Jesus Christ for the greater portion of our life. Why is this happening? There are so many things that can derail our faith. Disappointments, right? We've got a nation right now dealing with a disappointment because what they thought was going to happen didn't happen. And then you have the other side who's trying to reel with how we can bring this nation back together into harmony. That's our problem as well. It's not going to happen. No, no politician is going to give you the words that you need for reconciliation. You know where those words are going to come from? Good old-fashioned, the Holy Bible. <laughs> Brought to you by God and friends. Now, this message is, you know, First Congregational supports this message. The work of reconciliation, the work of healing, the work of renewal, that's on us. It always has been. And Jesus was an individual who preached reconciliation. When he went and did his ministry, it was a ministry of reconciliation. He wasn't specifically drawn to the least of these because they were great to hang out with. But he realized that in them was an object lesson. Society had already rendered opinion about the people that Jesus was ministering to. They were lepers, Gentiles, widows, orphans. They were the least of these. They were poor and impoverished. And they had already sort of rendered opinion about these individuals and said, Jesus, don't, don't bother with these individuals. You, with, with your teaching and with your lineup, you can go and hang out with the best of the chief priests. You can hang out with the, with the princes. You can be with the individuals who carry weight. And Jesus says, but these are the building blocks of the kingdom. And the truth is, and we don't like to admit it, we are the building blocks of the kingdom, which means we're not the A-list. Probably never have been. Oh, you might have been first in your class. You might have graduated with honors. You might even have a good salary and retired well. But in God's realm... We're not the A-list. <laughs> Actually, as Christians, we're not the A-list. We're not the chosen people. We're the ones grafted in. All right, so with that humility firmly established in us and that understanding clearly made to us, how then are we to proceed? Because we realize that Paul tells us we're in this till the end. When we sign on, when we attach ourselves to Christ, we are in it till the end. Christ is not going to break the promise to us. If anything, if anyone's going to walk away, it's going to be us. And if we do walk away, oftentimes it's for selfish reasons. 
We walk away because God knew that there was something that we were called to give and we were capable of giving it and we just didn't want to. That we were called to reconcile with our brother or our sister. That we were called to love. That we were called to encourage. And we just didn't want to. We said, I don't want to do that. And God's like, well, I didn't walk away from you. You walking away from me. Because I didn't tell you that you were going to do these things by yourself. I didn't say that you were on your own. I said, I will be with you. This is the great commissioning that Jesus gives. And I, you will be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and I will be with you until the end. So if we are in this for our duration of our life, then it's time for us to reconnect with the one who made everything new. And to realize that we can't outrun it, we can't escape it. We can't revise it and revamp it and rescript it. The scriptures state, I think, rather clearly and rather plainly that the work of Christian disciples is the work of reconciliation, the work of love, the work of compassion. How are we known? We are known by the love that we show for one another. If we are reluctant to show love, doesn't mean that we're not Christians. We're just not applying what we know is the truth. That's free will. That's free will. You can walk out of here today at this church and you can decide to go shopping or you can go home. Or you can go shopping and then go home. Or you can go and see a movie. I think they still show those. And you can do these things if you want to because you have free will. So let's think about this invitation that Paul is extending to the Thessalonians. Because right now they're starting to think like, well, we can get out of this when we die. Because, <laughs> you know, they're thinking about, okay, you know, there's, there's an out. So, and, and they were already starting to think that perhaps maybe they shouldn't apply themselves as faithfully because it's all going to come to naught when they do die. And Paul says, hold on. Don't pull the reins back. Don't let up. He says, this is the message he goes, for which we were born. This is the message for which we were conceived. We were conceived to hear this message and be in, all in, till our very end. Because right now, more than, than ever, what we need to do as people of faith is to not see and focus upon our differences. I pretty much tried to tackle that last week. If we have to double down on anything, let's double down on our humanity. There's no stored up conflict between us. This is, this is something that's in our heads. What there is, is an opportunity for us to not to celebrate our differences, but for us to capitalize on our similarities. I believe we can do it. It's not the work of some external force. It is us. We are the ones who have to monitor our speech and our conduct, both in the real world and in the virtual one, and especially in the virtual one. Because what we say and what we post stays in that sort of digital ether for a very long time. 
You can say something to me today, I'll probably forget it this afternoon. Chances are, without the recording, you'll probably forget what I'm saying right now too this afternoon. You'll be like, what was that he said? I don't know, something about Thessalonians. Was it Thessalonians or was it Romans? I don't know, I'm shopping now. He said I could go shopping, that's what I remember. But here's the thing, what we have to do is realize, let's, first of all, let's just breathe. I feel like what we haven't been doing is, we haven't been breathing. Let's breathe and understand that the kind of world we want to live in is probably not the kind that you can cast a vote for. Probably isn't. The kind of world you want to live in is the kind that you actually can create right now without any political body, without any PACs or campaign funding. It's the kind of world right now where you can have a civil word with me and I can have a civil word with you, even though there's lots of daylight between how we would care about the running of our country and how we might care about the running of our communities, but we can still exchange meaningful and uplifting and valuable words for one another and maybe even work on a project together. And that's got nothing to do with how we voted, but everything to do with how much we want to see our brother or our sister as a child of God. And if we can settle and agree on seeing one another as children of God, we're going to be okay. We're going to be fine. But we have to want to. That's the operative word. The operative word is we have to want to. So if you're heading home and you see a campaign sign that's still up for a candidate you don't believe in, breathe. Breathe. Seriously, I, I encourage you, breathe. Just take a break. Just go, you know what? I'm, I'm going to breathe. William Gentry says breathe. And then exhale. And then say, you know what? Just a child of God that we happen to have a political disagreement with. But I don't wish their death. And I certainly hope they don't wish mine. And if they're in need someday, maybe I'll come around and I'll help them. Because that's what we, as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, that's what we're called to do. As uh, most of you probably know, November 11th is Veterans Day, and it's coming up. And uh, Marilyn contacted me a few days ago and said, we need to, you know, remember that and, uh, and have a song that uh, would be appropriate. And so, uh, if I can turn this around so it's not upside down. Um, I'm going to sing Is that 599? As you can see I'm, I'm very well prepared. <laughs> My country tis of me. So Let's remember our veterans, they uh, provide us freedom. 
and uh, we're here today in church because of it. Merciful God, may you provide us the tools to be consistent in our faith, to review the lessons of your Son, and to renew his imprint in our life. Help us not to take the easy path that would lead to our destruction, that would disintegrate relations within our community, that would just cause us more hurt and despair. There's talk that we are a divided nation. I think I've been hearing this for like 
four or five or eight, 16 years. Maybe it's starting to dawn upon us that we take our differences very deeply. And it's never been a problem before. It's never been so in front of us until now. I would like you to be able to perhaps show us some things that we've been missing. I'm not asking you to change our opinions. I wouldn't want that. That would trample on our free will. But I would like you to teach us something about application, about dialogue, about fostering a sense of civility and being able to create areas and platforms where we can speak and hear one another. May we continue to remember the words and actions of Jesus Christ. He is the reason why we are here. He represents the, the best intentions that we try to live up to, that we want to keep in our hearts and minds, that we want to remember each day. Help to keep his ideals in front of us. so we wouldn't wander down tributaries that would further alienate us from our neighbors. You've called us to community, but it is our responsibility on how that community is going to shake out, how it might thrive and endure. We can try to run from it. We can move away. We can barricade ourselves. We can isolate ourselves in our political bubbles. Or we can take a hard look at ourselves and see our foolishness and say, enough. We need one another. So you teach us, Lord, how to need one another. You teach us what it looks like. Help us to have a real three-dimensional refresher course. Wake us up, just like you did those disciples, when you pulled them from the reality of what they knew and showed them an even greater reality of something that they could never dream of. You blew their minds when you took them out of their own homelands into surrounding areas where there were individuals of different cultures and you blessed and preached and baptized individuals in those cultures and the disciples were amazed. They didn't even know those people were on the map. Well, that's where we are. We realized that some of our neighbors don't think like we do. Big news flash. The question is, is 
how can we still be neighbors? Teach us how we can still be neighbors, Lord. Because if we don't learn from you, we're going to lose it. And we're going to lose all the hard work that those who have gone on before us have paid in order that we might even be able to have the ability to disagree. So we thank you for Bob's musical offering reminding us of our veterans, especially those who paid the ultimate price, those who are not even here to be able to see what we've become because they were too busy offering their lives in order that we might appreciate the liberties that they have afforded us. Please, God, help us not to lose our way. And it's got to start with the people of God. It has to start with us. Because if the church can't be of one mind, then where can we go to find the respite and the assurances that we need that we are still human? Where can we hear the words of love and hope that will warm our hearts and soothe our minds and allow us to reconnect? If our churches are not aligned, if our churches disagree about who this man Jesus is, we're finished. So let it start with us, the people of faith, called and fashioned and minted and forged by your word. Send us out that we might be renewed, not looking for what we can damage and knock over, but looking who we might be able to converse with at a good safe six-foot distance. In all things, Lord, renew us. Forgive us. Love us. We set before you today the prayers of your people, our joys and our concerns we offer to you in Jesus' name. Receive these prayers that have been said unto you, Lord. May you, in return, renew us with hope and blessing and fortify us as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs> we covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, 
quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It is a wonderful feeling to know that we have been forgiven. That you keep no record of our wrongs. That you gradually restore us to righteousness and allow us to exhibit an understanding of you in the world. So at this time, we, we come to you with our hearts just as they are. And we ask, Lord, very, we ask you very sincerely to forgive us for the weird feelings we've had about this election season, feelings still brewing within us, questions that we have, anger that has not yet been assuaged. Now, our sins are real. Let's make no mistake about that. So we come to you and we ask your very real pardon and absolution because we know that we're better than this. We know that we're not an angry people. We just like to play one on TV. But the truth is, we come to you for the restoration that we need. And in this meal, may we be many steps closer to it, in Jesus' name, amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, took bread, blessed and divided it, and says, this is my body which has been given for you. Take it in remembrance of me. They shared the cup together. Christ's blood shed for the remission of sins. Let us take and receive the cup of salvation. Loving and most merciful God, we thank you. We thank you for preserving us, preserving us from the assaults that come from within. For those are the greatest kind the torments that we lay on ourself, the self-doubt, the lack of pardon, the constant criticism, we are so hard on ourselves, much harder than any perceived enemy could ever be. And so we ask, Lord, that this forgiveness that you make manifest, that we learn to forgive ourselves. Then we can work on forgiving our neighbors. And with this great pardon and this great release, then we can be about the work of rebuilding our communities, not looking for differences, but looking for that common ground. Bless, keep, and guide us now and always. In Jesus' name, amen.
Please rise for the blessing. And now, may the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you now and always. May it keep you and guide you in peace. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.